Hey there, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talkers podcast. We're in the Blog Talk Radio Network, Apple, iTunes, uh, anywhere you subscribe to a podcast, you can find us. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm Burke Allen in our studios in Washington, D.C., and a special thank you to SpeakerMatch.com. SpeakerMatch is the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. And as we all come out from behind covid speaking and meetings are happening again so if you're a platform speaker or you're a meeting planner find one another at speakermatch.com our guest today has done a whole bunch of stuff she's an entrepreneur an author a photographer uh she's done sales marketing communications uh has been around the world and back again many times as an international businesswoman we want to talk to her about her books and her photography though the brand new book just released is called it's your life isn't it it's being released for the first time in english uh and there's an ebook in spanish coming out soon beverly copen joins us from right outside atlanta hey beverly how are you i am just wonderful thank you burke for having me on your show you've done so much with your life you're almost like a uh, gosh, a, a forest gump in that you, you find yourself in these amazing situations all around the, the planet, all around the world. I'm not even sure where to start asking you about things, but I'm going to start with, with your very early childhood. What is it about uh, the lessons you learned as a kid that made you even believe some of the amazing things that have happened in your life were possible? What, what were those seeds that were planted early on? That's an excellent question. I, I don't think that it was from my early childhood, uh, but I do think that something was happening when I was about um, 14 or 15. I don't know if you consider that early childhood or not, but um, I don't. Anyway, so uh, all of a sudden, one day I said to my mom, um, I have, I, I, have um, I have just one more credit and I will be able to graduate next year and skip my junior year. And she said, why would you want to do that? And I said, why not? And I think that was the beginning of a whole series of things that I thought were different and um, practical or impractical. And um, my answer was always, I've got this idea. So I did. I graduated high school at 16. And then another three years later, I skipped my junior year in college. I graduated college at just turned 20. Wow. Amazing. And you've gone on to receive a bunch of awards and accolades and, and, and I can't even list them all, but, uh, you know, one of Atlanta's top self-made women, Georgia's most influential women. Um, you were, uh, for over a, a decade on the board of directors of NBG first American bank down there, part of the film community, one of the, uh, or maybe it was, were you the first film representative in the state of Georgia? Is that right? Yes, I was the first film representative and perhaps of even more significance is I was invited by the Department of Industry and Trade when Jimmy Carter was then governor to um, create a marketing plan to bring more motion pictures and commercials into the state of Georgia. And they used my plan. And then I was with them for a year with as the film representative to get things set up and moving and going. And now, of course, Georgia uh, in, in the Atlanta metro area uh, is much like the Hollywood of a generation ago. There is constantly 
you know, uh, filming big and small there. And you were right there in the beginning of that. So when you see, uh, you know, the walking dead sit down there for so long or the Avengers movies, or I could go on and on and on filmed in your backyard, you must take some, some pride in, in being there for the beginning of all that. It, it's enormously prideful. It really is because again, we were launching the unknown um, and because there was no path that I had to follow, then it gave me great freedom to use um, creativity and innovation in which to do it. So um, I'm very pleased and proud of that. And as you may or may not know, before COVID in the year 2019, um, Georgia had a, a, a revenue of $9 billion, that's with a B, uh, dollars in film. And during the year of COVID, it went all the way down to $4 billion revenue. Wow. Yeah. That's I, cool. Uh, That's cool. I'm, I'm amazed when I talk to people like you who have done so much with their lives because we all sort of start at the same place, you know, you know, as you come out of the shoot and, and you have, have just maximized, it seems as if you maximized every second on this planet. And by the way, if you're just joining us on the podcast, Beverly Copen is our guest today. Um, and, and I want to see if, if, if you can even articulate what it is that, that is sort of that secret sauce, if you were going to give advice uh, to a young person who's listening now, who maybe thinks, oh, you know, I'm, I'm fighting this battle with, with one hand tied behind my back. What would you tell them? I would tell them to reevaluate where you are with your own goals. If you don't have goals, you need to get some. And in my book, It's Your Life, Isn't It? Um, I have a complete section on strategies relating to do that if you've forgotten how or if you don't know how. And so you've got to know where you want to go before you can figure out how to get there. So it's, it's much like uh, a target. You got to have a target in mind. And then if, if some of the concentric circles around there are where you wind up, whenever you're throwing darts at the target, that's okay. You've got to have a target to aim for. Yes. I think one of the things that I have learned uh, over and over again is I have a, a relatively high risk factor. Um, if something is um, perhaps n not been done before, then I make a plan for myself. If I do this and it doesn't work, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? And if I can live with that, then I will go ahead and do it. Well, you know, you're, uh, you're close to, to Atlanta, Georgia, down there in, in Metro Atlanta. And, and the great baseball player, Hank Aaron, you know, I think about him when you say that, uh, the home run king of all time. And if you don't swing for the fences, you're mm -hmm. never going to hit a home run. Uh, nor are you ever going to, you know, get singles and doubles. So you got to swing for the fences. I love that analogy. I was, I was in Atlanta when Hank Aaron was, was doing that. So I know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah, you have to swing at everything that seems reasonable. And I guess the subtitle of my book work, which um, I, I'm sure, you know, but it's really called how to make a difference. Making a difference starts with I've, got an idea. Because throughout my life and many people's lives, they might have an idea of something they could do that wasn't done before. And people will actually say, you've got to be kidding. And things of that nature. And right. so you've got to learn how to ignore that and just move forward. 
I wonder what you would say to someone who's listening right now who says, well, look, this lady has, you know, she's accomplished a bunch of great things, but, uh, you know, grew up poor and disadvantaged. Maybe I grew up in Arkansas or Appalachia or in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles. And, and, and this lady has no idea what, you know, how tough it is out here for me. What would you say to that? Get over it. Um, and nicely, I would say it nicely, but I have many traveled, I've traveled in third world countries and I have given talks before people who have come from a very poor background. And part of what is needed is inspiration. But the, the bigger part of that is how do I do that? So it, anything is possible if you know how to do it. You just have to you have to see things that other people don't see. And I think that is something that I have been told many times is that, Beverly, you see things that I don't see. So I want to encourage people, whatever their young age. And I, I mentor young people all the time now, and I'm mentoring a little bit of my grandchildren, is just to see things differently. See what you see. And then if you want to make something happen, we'll tell you how. You can learn how. Beverly Copen has a brand new book. It's your life, isn't it? And it's available for the first time in English and the Spanish translation is coming soon. And you can visit her online at beverlycopen.com. Beverly, you talk about inspiration and, and I think about perspiration, putting the work into it. So what percentage of your success was inspiration and what percentage was perspiration was, you know, doing the, the work behind it? Um, that's an excellent question. I really don't know the answer. It just whatever it takes, because um, you don't, you, it doesn't just happen overnight, you have to have a plan and you have to monitor that plan and figure out are you on target? Or are you not? Um, by the way, the Spanish book is now available on Amazon. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I wanted to just update that information for you. That's fantastic. So, so uh, there certainly is part inspiration and, and part perspiration. And, and before we move on too far, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, about your early background. Um, uh, you know, how important in, and I don't know uh, your own personal experience, but how important do you think it is that, that uh, you have encouragement at an early age, whether it be from parents or a teacher who sees something uh, in you, how, how big a component is that? Oh, that's another excellent question. Um, you do have to have that. And if you can get it from one parent or the other parent or an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or grandma when you're younger, then then use that inspiration and make sure you listen to that person who loves you and wants you to succeed in whatever it is you do. So that is important. But I also have always believed in being involved in the community. I have learned more than I have ever learned in any schooling by joining organizations that are where I can make a difference based on what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. And the, the speakers that I listen to, they're the ones who inspire me. And then I learn how to, how to do what it is that they're suggesting. So the reaching out for a mentor, for um, a teacher, things of that nature. You've got to have someone that you can talk to and confide in and let them know your highs and your lows. Do you remember as you sort of peel back that onion and you think about your past and especially as a, as a young person, was there one person 
that you can remember that you can tell me about that was inspirational to you early on? It is an excellent question also, and I can't think of one, but I do know that I did finally graduate in journalism. And uh, one of the things that I, one of the people that I always admired was Barbara Walters. I wanted to be Barbara Walters because I love interviewing people, asking questions and listening to the answers. I got an opportunity to meet Barbara Walters once uh, when she was still doing the view and and, and it was kind of like, uh, you know, walking in and meeting the president because she was the dean of female journalists. So it was a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, and, and Beverly, and I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want to say the wrong thing, but, but you are a, a lady of a certain age. And that means that you came into um, an awful lot of success in a time when a lot of women were not afforded that opportunity. As a matter of fact, your first book I read um, was published in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not going to publish a book in the early 80s unless you've had a lot of success prior to that. So, <laughs> and I'm tap dancing around it a little bit, and I'm glad to hear you laugh about it. But <laughs> I want to know what it was like to be a woman in business in a time when there were not a whole lot of women that were sort of coloring outside those lines, there were not a lot of women that were not afforded the opportunity to be much more than uh, a secretary or receptionist, maybe a nurse or a teacher. And that was it. You didn't do any of those things. So paint that picture for me. Tell me what that was like. I grew up um, in a, in a, and worked in my early career in a man's world. And I learned that you can catch a lot of bees with being sweet and smiling and gentle and not being confrontational. So to me, those kinds of, I guess you call them Southern qualities, worked extremely well for me because women who come across as, well, I don't want to do that, um, you know, doesn't set well. But in, for example, with the the bank board of directors, I was already in my my thirties or maybe late thirties, and when I got invited to be on the bank board of directors, they needed a a woman who was visible, and they could trust. And I had been introduced to that by my volunteer work in Atlanta in the community in one of the in the leukemia society. So that kind of networking really helps. But the point is that. Um, I was the only first and only woman for 13 years. And so I had to learn how to manage a meeting when I listened first and kind of stayed quiet. But then I would begin to do more homework and then I would raise a question and I would say, why why do we do that? And it appeared that a lot of the men would come up to me, the director saying, I've wanted to know that for a long time, but I didn't have the nerve to ask. Wow. That's great. I've always thought there was a, um, an unwritten double standard for men and women in business where a man would receive, you know, a lot of attaboys and pats on the back for being assertive. You're an assertive business man, but if a woman tried to do that, she would be seen as aggressive, not assertive, but aggressive. And, 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 uh, and, and that's a polite term. So I wonder if you <laughs> yeah. saw some of that when you tried to navigate in and out. Um, the answer is I never experienced that myself because I surrounded myself 
with people who were positive. But I guess one of the quick things I will just share with you is that um, once the, the one time that I actually went to work for someone else, all the other times I was, I started something and made it and helped it to grow, made it grow. But this was a, a, um, a company called Research Institute of America. And I was hired, I was the third female they hired uh, out of 100 people. And the they had a script that I had to follow, which I didn't believe in, but I did. And uh, with at the end of the first full year of, of um, working with Research Institute, I was number one in the country in new sales. And they now had 18 women on their sales team. And what I learned was very important is that I had to establish a front end contract when I went in to see a man. I had to let him know exactly what I wanted and in a very nice tone of voice. And here's what will happen. And if this works for you, then I'm going to ask you to be my client. And then I have I knew that I had three minutes before he was going to automatically have to be excused from the meeting. You um, you mentioned earlier that uh, essentially you could get you learned you could get more with with, you know, being nice and, and those southern qualities. And and there are probably some women who are listening right now who go, well, you know, she was just, a, you know, a pushover. And, uh, you know, she what if she had to stand up for herself and, and, and all that? And I wonder how you would answer that potential criticism. It's it's a valid one. And there are uh, several times when I have had to do that and I had to do it with um, with firmness and with determination. I never issued a cuss word in my life um, and I didn't believe in being confrontational. But when the, something was not right and it wasn't fair, believe me, I had a conversation about that. Beverly Copen is our guest today. Visit her online at beverlycopen, C-O-P-E-N.com. The new book is out and available now. It's called It's Your Life, Isn't It? And if you're a fan of the, the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, uh, there, there's uh, something of that in this book in that you're, you're bound to take away some inspiration. And, and Beverly, you actually contributed to a couple of those Chicken Soup for the Soul books yourself. Indeed, I have. Um, I have lots of stories because I believe in selling and doing anything. You tell a story, and people will remember the story. They won't remember the, the strategy, but they'll remember how you got it done. So to me, stories are a very important part. And Chicken Soup loves the stories. But um, um, I just wanted to mention that the strategies that I used for um, my sailing, my selling, especially relating to women, is in right. my book. It's your life, isn't it? I have a whole chapter on how to get what you want, even if it's just selling your idea. And so if you're a, a woman in business, you can certainly take something away from that. And, and do I have this right, uh, Beverly, that this book was actually published in Japan in Japanese uh, a while back, and then you've done a, an update, sort of a, a more global version. If I have that right, I want to hear that story. How is it that you wound up uh, a Georgia girl getting a book published in Japan in Japanese. <laughs> oh, that's a fun story. Um, I lived in Japan for three years with my, my now late husband. And um, I came in as a, um, um, 
I had to reinvent myself because I knew no one and I didn't speak the language. So I, I, I spent a lot of time learning culture and learning what was going on in Japan. So fast forward after my three years, which I absolutely loved, a, a year or so later, I was invited to go back by a woman who knew me, Japanese woman, and it was going to be in Tokyo. And I was one of going to be in a, a program on entrepreneurship uh, in Japan because they were going through a very, very difficult change of culture during that period of time. And I went there and I was told I'll be about 45 minutes on a three hour program. Well, I got there and guess what? I was the only one. There were no other people. Uh And so I I knew what I could do because I knew the culture. And I I followed through with um, my plan, my made up my plan. And at the end of the, we we lasted the entire three three, uh, hours. And at the end of it, a young Japanese woman came over to me and said, Beverly, my name is so-and-so. I'm an editor at Diamond Publishing in Tokyo. Um, I like the way you think. Would you be interested in writing a book for us, um, for the Japanese market, and we would publish it? Wow. Did you have to write it in those those Japanese... uh, 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 characters, because I, I think that would be uh, you know I couldn't write in in their script. I don't think that would work for me. No, no, it was it was it was in English. Okay, and good. We took <laughs> it all worked out. We took a year to discover who, why, when, and where. But what is it that we're you know to make sure I would be on target? And so that's when I came up with the idea of it's your life, isn't it? Um, and that was published in the year two thousand in Japan in. Japanese. So this is, in fact, um, you know, 20 something years later, uh, when I found it during COVID on my computer, the manuscript, and went through it chapter by chapter and saying the similarity here is incredible of what they were going through and what my book is about. And so I just completely edited it, added more global stories. And, and, um, and then that, that's what happened. So it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's got a great story to it. It's got a lot of history. It helped a lot of people in Japan. You, um, you got to do something that an awful lot of people I think would love to do. And that is, is live abroad and immerse yourself into a culture that's very different than what you're used to being, uh, uh, you know, a Georgia person. Um, cause I, I can't think of anything that would be too terribly different than, than living in, uh, Atlanta and living in Tokyo. Um, I, I wonder what, it, it, what lessons you learned there, or perhaps what the biggest surprises were that you learned living in Japan. Everything was a surprise, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, right. It's, everything was a surprise. And so, um, I guess the most important thing is anytime anyone travels, Um, around the world or travels even in your own country, you have to look at and see how people live, work and play. It's about the culture, about what's important to them. And so that's one of the things that I did extremely thoroughly. And that's why I know that the the changes in the book um, are going to be so valuable to so many people who are from another country and for people who are actually in another country, because I'm very sensitive to making strategies that work, um, that are not 
challenging strategies. It's ways to communicate, ways to ask questions, ways to listen to the answer, and ways to get agreement on how you want to move forward together. There's a, a lot of folks who would say, you know, people are people wherever they are. But there certainly are some pretty significant differences, I would assume, whenever you are deeply immersed in, in a culture like that. Yes, absolutely. I was invited to go uh, over to India um, um, at some point, and I was going to give two-day seminars, um, five different countries, I mean, five different places around India. I was sponsored by the Indo-American Society in Bombay. And it took me a year of studying the culture and learning about the poverty, learning about all the things that were going to frighten me to death, and making sure that I knew what the people who would come to my classes, where they were in their thought processes, and why would they listen to me. Beverly Copen is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. She has a brand new book that is available at beverlycopen.com and uh, amazon.com. It's your life, isn't it? And I love the subtitle, Making a Difference Begins with, I have an idea. What, what is uh, your best idea? What's the one that really changed things for you? I guess the biggest idea uh, was was uh, when my when when my husband Michael Keeman was so ill, and and uh, I spent three years being his caregiver, which is when I learned how to manage things that are outside of your control, which is what my book is about. Uh, like like a pandemic, it's outside of your control. Right. So part of what I learned is how to how to do that. And there was a point in time after he lost his second lab where he decided he did not want to live anymore. Um, and so I had an idea. I wanted to give him a party somehow that he would have something to look forward to. And when I presented the idea to Cox Broadcasting, they said, typically, you've got to be kidding. I said, no. I'm not. And it happened. It's in the book. It's one of the great stories. It's called Mike's Night uh, of how I did that. That was my idea. And, and it, it's just a beautiful story. And it's your life, isn't it? And um, it will encourage anybody who thinks the odds are against them of um, wanting to do something for someone else. So much of what I talk about is making a difference one person at a time. You know, I think it's really important that, that you said that, that this is not all blue skies, puffy clouds, optimism. You sometimes have to deal with things that are completely out of your control and, and the old adage, make the best of it, but, but sort of figure out how to navigate through those, uh, those really choppy waters in life. Yes, that is a big part. And that's why I have that up front in the first two chapters, because I want the reader to know this is not a Pollyanna person. This is a person who has lived with the um, ups and downs of life. Um, some of them really, really difficult challenges. And that I have learned how to reinvent myself many times. Reinventing yourself when what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen uh, is a critical strategy for being able to accept where you are and manage the best you can during a tough time. And, you know, refocusing priorities in a world that is changing rapidly is hugely important. You know, we've all had to find ways to do 
uh, business and life differently during the coronavirus, during the, the pandemic. And you know, we're looking at these supply chain shortages that are likely to come. And if you've been on an airplane in the last couple of months, you know that things are very different there uh, in, in the whole flying experience. What advice would you give to people? Because you've been around the block a time or two, Beverly, and you've had to deal with a lot of things in your life. What advice would you give to people who have a, a tough time with that whole concept of, of being flexible and sort of coloring outside the lines? Coloring outside the lines. Um, I, my personal philosophy is uh, learn how to um, think outside of the box. Think of things that other people aren't doing. And a quick example of that would be in the middle of the coronavirus. Uh, I was writing some stories for our local paper in Sedona, Arizona. And I thought about the um, idea of the penalty box. The penalty box is in hockey when you play um, uh, hockey and you commit a foul, then you are put into the penalty box for a given period of time. And when you're in the penalty box, then you're out of the game. There's nothing you can do. So my, my story about getting out of the penalty box is, in fact, how do you get out of the penalty box when you didn't even commit a foul? It just happened and it's outside of your control. And so part of it is what I would I deal with that in the book because a lot of people have been shuttered in in their home and are concerned or afraid to go out for right. so many, so many, many, many months. And so if, if a person wants to learn how to navigate the choppy waters, there are so many ways, and I've offered many of them in the book. The book is It's Your Life, Isn't It? Beverly Copen is the author. Um, she's based in, in Metro Atlanta, lived all over the world, though, Japan, Costa Rica, Central America, Sedona, Arizona. And, and I have to ask you this, even though it's, it's not necessarily a part of this book as much as it is some of the other things you've done. You are uh, a really accomplished photographer, and you've done an awful lot of that. You won some awards for it. What got you interested in, in photography, and, and how does one get into that either as a hobby or a profession? Well, you don't get into photography as a profession. You have to have a real job. And then you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's an honest answer. We'll take that. <laughs> but um, I guess the answer is um, in, in, uh, af by living in Japan for three years, I realized the visual differences of people and how people work, live, and play. And that's when I really got interested in learning to capture that with my camera. So all through the rest of my years, uh, and I'm currently, by the way, and if you're interested, uh, if it's appropriate, I'm, in, I'm almost 84. And I feel like I'm somewhere in my early 70s. So I'd like to think about it in, that, in those terms. But um, uh, photography is something you do for the beauty of it. And there are a lot of professional photographers who make, a, um, um, a cop, a, who make it by having seminars. And sometimes now they're, they're on seminars that are on Zoom. So everybody who's in that profession has been scrambling for 18 months to two years. So that's why I'm saying you have to have a real job. But um, you get a great deal of satisfaction when you capture a portrait of someone and from another country or from your own country. And it, taking pictures that give you satisfaction and tell a story, to me, 
I don't want to take pictures of buildings and rocks. I want to I want to tell pictures that tell a story. And that's how I learned about culture so often is about with the stories of the people. You know, we all have the opportunity to be a photographer now because we all have cameras on our phones. And so there are more yeah. pictures being taken than than ever before. Um, what makes a great picture for you? When you see a picture and you go, man, that's fantastic. What, what makes it fantastic? I call them magical moments because you have to have a great sense of awareness what's around you. You have to look, um, not just straight ahead or not to make sure you don't fall, but you have to look around you and you have to see weather coming in. I definitely am a weather enthusiast because if I see a storm coming in or clouds rolling in, that's when I go outside. Um, and that was the winter of my even though I have photographs from around the world, the winning picture that Highways magazine out of around 3,000 people was a picture taken in my front yard um, of, a, of a huge, great looking sky in monsoon season uh, of, a, of a century plant. And I call it um, sunset of the century. And it won first prize, the grand prize with Arizona Highways. So something is simple. That's why I'm telling you, something is simple with your iPhone or with your smartphone. It's right in front of you. You don't have to travel around the world to take great pictures. You had um, uh, some background in the modeling industry, too. There's so much to talk to you about. What was your involvement? I know you did the, the movie stuff, the film and TV. What was your involvement in the modeling industry in Georgia? That's an easy answer. Uh, when my first um, was six months old, I was helping a lady in Atlanta um, answer her answering machine. On She had a company, a small company called Models Incorporated. And after a while, she said, Beverly, I don't want to do this anymore. Do you want the business? And I said, sure. And I gave her a dollar. And I changed the uh, name to Atlanta Models and Talent. And I started figuring out what is logical. Uh, and so I'd never had a business class at all or marketing class. Um, and so I began to think through uh, all the things that would be necessary. And within two years, Burke, it was the largest modeling talent agency between New York and Miami. Wow. And I didn't do anything but what my gut said you have to do. And so I sold that. I, I kept the business. I ran it for um, for 15 years. And then I sold it um, to my key person. And I want to tell you that last year, Atlanta Models and Talent celebrated its 60th. That's 60, 60th anniversary in business. That's amazing. I just want to stand close to you and I hope some of that rubs off. Uh, I like that. You got the Midas touch, Beverly. Um, hey, you've got uh, a couple of things that that people may judge you harshly for, and I want to ask you about those before we wrap up. One of those is the fact that you are, for better or worse, a product of the South. Now, I lived in the South, and I have very warm feelings about the South, but there are lots of folks around the country that, that give you the side eye just because you are in the deep South. And, and I wonder if, uh, if you can shed any light on whether that has ever uh, held you back and, and what you might tell people who, who may have misconceptions about the South, about what it's really like there. 
Wow, um, I, I've never experienced what you what you what you're saying. Um, I never have, a, and even when I traveled around the world, um, nobody ever said, "Well, you're from the South," you know. <laughs> so um, it's it's a moot point. It really is. It's it's a wow. Oh, I guess that what I would say, and because I know we're ending, getting close to the end of our of our time, the last thing I have in my book is a is a poem that I wrote several several years ago called "The Power of Choice," and it is about how you see the world, how you what your attitude is, and it's a great great poem, and um, I, I put it last because I want people to think about the fact that. Um, However they see the world, however they act, it can be negative or it can be positive. What you see and what you do is your choice. And you have the choice to either be positive or you can be negative. For me, I choose to be positive. Every day I wake up, I stand up and I say, thank you. So it's my choice. I love that. And, you know, I grew up in a place that is much maligned. I grew up in the Appalachians and, and people would sometimes give us the side eye too. And, and I think that because the South has a, a checkered history with race and, and with other things that sometimes people look at it uh, in a way that is not necessarily accurate, especially if you've never been there. Um, the other thing, and you were brave enough to mention it. And so, so now I don't feel so bad about mentioning it. You are a lady of a certain age. And I wonder if that has caused any issues for you and and what you might say to folks who who may not necessarily uh give folks of a certain age as much latitude to accomplish things as they should oh that's an easy question age is just a number and it's just um it's just not necessary you know in in when i was 83 is when i discovered i could rewrite this book there is no limit to when you stop learning. I firmly believe in lifelong learning. And the, where I'm living now is right adjacent to a college. Uh, and that is why I love lifelong learning. So all you have to do is keep learning and it will invigorate you. So um, I don't see that as a factor at all. The other thing is the word retirement. I don't even know what that word means <laughs> because why would I have never retired? What, what would I retire from life? And if people think that when you retire, you just sit on a couch and watch TV, then that's what you will do. But if you don't believe retirement is a word in your vocabulary, then you just keep learning how to reinvent yourself. What is it I can do to volunteer? What is it I can do to make a difference for someone today? Do you have a good time every day? You're not retired, but it seems to me you're just enjoying the heck out of this whole journey. Absolutely. I love it. The book is It's Your Life, Isn't It? It's by Beverly Copen. It's available at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere, and, of course, at Beverly Copen dot com that's c-o-p-e-n beverly copen dot com beverly thank you so much for spending time with us today i uh, so appreciate the opportunity alan i really do i mean burke sorry i was thinking of your last name thank you so much for this opportunity i'm grateful you're very welcome beverly and i will tell you you share that getting those names mixed up with about 50 percent of the hotels i check into so don't feel bad (laughs) (laughs) happens all the time and i think i'm gonna have to sleep out on the sidewalk Beverly Copen is our guest today. The Big Time Talkers podcast is the service of speakermatch.com. 
Thank you so much for listening, wherever you are, whatever you do, go out and make it a great day today. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Thank you.